It's Jacobs, cuts over to the left, slashes back, breaks through, crosses the 30, has a first down, ladies and gentlemen, with 30 seconds left in overtime. They're in Daniel Carlson territory. Hanging at the William Hill Sportsbook inside Silver 7s, it's Cofield and Company. Good call there by Brent. Frankly, what is not Daniel Carlson territory? He's been a monster this year. I think the official numbers are, what, 40 of 43. Kicking field goals, one of the highest percentages uh, ever, especially for guys, and it's a very small crew that made 40 field goals in a season. By the way, that also means that there are unsung heroes because uh, the field goal kicker is not the only part of making a field goal. This guy knows that. John Kondo was a Raider. He was a long snapper for upwards of 10-plus years, and he joins Cofield and Company here in Vegas. John, how you doing, buddy? Good. I'm doing excellent. How you guys doing? We're good. We're good. We're uh, we're fired up to see the uh, Raiders in the playoffs. You know, Raiders fans are fired up to to see that as well. And really, special teams have been a gigantic part of why the Raiders are here. So, you know, watching as a former Raider, what do you think about what happened this year? Uh, I mean, it was, it was a crazy year, and that's usually what happens in the NFL. You have your ups and downs. It's a roller coaster ride, um, particularly for the Raiders. I mean, you see them coming out. They played well in the beginning of the half of the year, and then. They had a little skid in the middle, and then they were actually peaking at the right time. Uh, getting into you know December and January, playing some really, really good football right now, and I, I think they're a tough out right now. Talk about the year Carlson had. Yeah, so, I mean, obviously I'm very, very biased to, to the specialist, and uh, he's kicking the ball great. It, it, it's funny when you, you get in that, uh, that zone and you get in the groove, you know, not necessarily as a, as a long sample, but also as a kicker and a holder. Um, you you could just see, or at least I can see, when they when he's kicking field goals. I mean, it is just a well-oiled machine. He's just getting up there. The confidence that 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 uh, trio has right now, it, it, it it's high, and that's awesome because this t- this time of year, every every play matters. You never know what what play is going to be to spark that team. Um, on 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 you know on game day to propel them to victory and and all the kicks all the snaps all the holds everything matters you know come come you know this time of year and they're picking at the right time and and I think I think uh, Saturday uh, as as a whole unit not necessarily Carlson um, but they're punting the ball unbelievable right now and their their cover teams are doing really well and that's huge every yard in, in the cover team it, it's huge. It is, it is huge. So whenever you can win the field position battle, that's the stuff that really goes, you know, unnoticed. You know, when all the analysts go over the games, you know, after pregame and stuff like that, they don't really go over the hidden yardage that is, is won and lost, you know, within special teams. And I think the Raiders are, you know, playing great right now, special teams-wise, and it's going to definitely be beneficial to them on, on Saturday. Yeah, it's one of the craziest position groups in all of sports, because really, you get noticed when you make a game-winning kick. That's good, but the only other time you really get noticed is when something goes wrong. No, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And you, you never want to put yourself in that position. That's why you practice. You go out there and you, you make these kicks, you do these snaps, you do these punts, you do these holds, day in and day out of practice. Where actually, when you get into the game, it's, it's a lot easier. I always like to put myself in an uncomfortable position in practice, so. When it comes game time, it, it, it's a lot easier, and it, and it can be like that. 
So when you talk about an uncomfortable position, uh, are, you, are you talking about like maybe the different weather conditions you might face in a certain place, slick balls and that sort of thing? Like, are you trying to put yourself in all the different uh, scenarios you might come up against? Well, yeah, you could, you could do you could do stuff with the balls, like get the balls wet, do wet ball drill. Um, you could like do hurry up uh, kicks, like scenarios like the uh, like when the uh, we call them like when I played it was like mayday situations where you have no timeouts, it's third down. You know uh, the, the offense just runs or runs a play and gets run out on the field under twenty seconds. It, it's, it's those practices, but it's also um, doing one-on-one drills. What I did particularly, I did a lot of one-on-one drills with the D linemen and trying to block them one-on-one after a snap with with you know with no other with no help from the guard. Like that is tough right there because. You're on an island as a snapper. Now, when when you're when you're in there with the team, you have two guards flanking you, so it is a little easier in the game. But when you do one-on-one drills, for me, for my sake as a snapper, you're on an island, and if you could block someone on an island, then it's going to be a hundred times easier when you have two guards by your side. And that obviously is a part of the job that it, you know I don't know that everybody thinks about. They think about the actual snapping part. And I'll tell you what, I I, I can remember going out just as a jabroni in high school and trying to do this, like try, like going out on a field, trying to snap ball more than, you know, three or four yards. And I was a fool. Like I couldn't, I couldn't do it at all. So I'm, I'm curious, how do you first get into that position in particular on a football team? Uh, well, for me, it, it took a kid selling out of school and a senior graduating and the team being left without a snapper. That's how I got into it. Um, <laughs> And I just said, well, what the heck, I'll, I'll, I'll try it. And the coach just said, you're the best at it, so you're in there. And I loved it at first because I was, I was playing in the ACC for University of Maryland, and I was a redshirt freshman. I was starting right away, like, loved it. Um, took a lot of practice in the summertime, and I just kept at it and didn't really like it at first because I, I soon realized I was a specialist. And this was coming from a small school. I played sports. I was a linebacker. I got recruited as a linebacker, as a fullback. I was used to hitting people. Um, by week four or five of that, my first season, I realized I was sitting by the, you know, on the sideline with the punter and the kicker, listening to their conversations, and realizing real fast how big of a head case uh, they are. Um, I was like, I don't belong in this group at all. I need to hit someone's head. But uh, no, I, I realized at that time how how critical the, the position is to the game, and uh, I, I kind of evolved and. And, and did really well with it. And fortunately, I had a great, uh, had an opportunity in the NFL, and I took advantage of it. It's funny, though, and we're talking to John Condo, long snapper for the Raiders for the longest time. Um, it's not always the case now that guys fall into it, you know, out of necessity. Uh, a couple of years ago, it's, now time flies, it was probably seven years ago now or six years ago now, I was hanging out at a Vegas bar. One of my friends brought up a guy, uh, Tom Fletcher, who had long snapped and played in the NFL, and they're like, oh, yeah, his son is going to Alabama. His son was basically groomed as a long snapper at IMG. Okay. Like, like it was. this is now a thing where it's just like, hey, this is yep. a way to go to college, and it's a way to have a career in the NFL. It's kind of crazy, the evolution of the position. Oh, 100%. And, and, and it probably wasn't like that, I would say, when I was growing up as a kid. Uh, people long snapped, but it was more so, you know, back upside end, quarterback, you know, whoever could do it in high school. And in college, you saw it being a little more specialized. And, and even in the NFL, it was tough, really tough for, for coaches and uh, owners and, and GMs to, 
really dedicate a spot on the 53-man roster just for a snapper. Um, but I would say Ray Price is all timing for me. I, I came out my first year in the NFL in 2005. Um, yeah, 2005. And, uh, and that was about the time when it was kind of changing, where teams were starting to devote one spot on the roster for a long snapper. Um, and I would say the Raiders were probably one of the last teams with Adam True that had you know, a position player um, that was dressed up as, you know, as a backup at the time. For him, uh, he's a, he was like the sixth lineman for the Raiders uh, and also the long snapper. They were one of the last things probably to transition into someone that was a pure snapper on the roster. Um, and I was just fortunate that Mr. Davis at the time was willing to listen to uh, Coach Kiffin and Ryan Schneider, who was a special teams coach at that time, you know, just saying, hey, you know, John, John is really good at this and this is where the NFL is trending and I think it's only a right to dedicate a spot to it, and I was very, very fortunate. All right, so we mentioned the new wave with long snappers, that people are developing as long snappers from a young age. Yeah. How about this one? The other cool angle with this Raiders team, special teams coaches are unique characters. They really are. I mean, Ritz Passacci has actually gotten the job done here. I wonder if in the future more special teams coaches are going to get a, a real look to be a head coach. Oh, 100%. I mean, you look at what Harbaugh's doing with Baltimore. He's a special teams coordinator. Good point. Uh, for the, for the Eagles, uh, you look at a lot of a lot of special teams coaches. One thing that separates them from position coaches is they deal with the whole team. You know, maybe or even with the quarterbacks. Some of the quarterbacks are, are holders, so they're dealing with the quarterbacks as well. And, and you you have to be able to deal with all all the types of uh, personalities on the team. You know, from your starters to your backups to your practice squad guys, uh, and the and the, all the personalities as well. And you, you develop a lot of skills that way. Uh, I look at one guy, he's coordinator for the Cowboys, uh, Coach Bones. He's, he's with me with the Raiders, and he was with the L.A. Rams. They might have been the St. Louis Rams at the time when, when Coach Fisher got uh, released at the end of the year and Coach Bones stepped in there as an interim coach. Very similar to what Coach Pisachi is doing uh, or has done here with the Raiders. And I can tell you one thing, the, the players love playing for Coach Bones, and, and if he'd ever get an opportunity to, to be a head coach, I think he'd be a heck of a coach. Um, and and it's it's really not a surprise to me how the Raiders responded this year with the coaching change, just because of you know I know I know Rich and he, he's a great guy, and I, I know the, the players you know follow him, and he's able to get to put the team in good positions, and uh, he's probably allowing his coaches to coach and players to make plays. Why do you think Rich Passaccia was the right guy given the circumstances under which he took over this year? I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I could only speculate. It, one, you know, just you, you go with a, an offense coordinator, you still have a lot of games left. You go an offense or defense coordinator, you're kind of taking that person away from their duty. And I'm not saying special teams isn't important, but uh, I would say special teams coach might just have a little bit more time uh, to, to, game, or to game plan and uh, I know that he has a, an assistant there that he's probably taken over, you know, majority of the special team stuff. But, again, Rich is one of those guys that, you know, he's been coaching in the league forever, and he's had a long coaching career. I think I think there's a lot of respect for him. And, and the NFL coaches, I think the biggest, the, biggest, uh, the biggest skill that an NFL coach has to do is, is getting your players ready to play. On, on game day, on Sunday or Saturday afternoon, whatever, uh, just getting them ready to play, you know, motivating them, getting them 
ready, uh, their bodies, their minds. And, and if, if a coach can't do that in the NFL, then they're not going to have that much of success. You could be the best X's and O guys uh, out there, but if, if you can't relate to the players and if you can't get them to go out there and, and perform at 100% on Sundays, then you're worthless. And I think the, the part you mentioned about the, the response that Rich has is kind of more where I was going with the question to say, what, what do you yeah. know about his personality that you think would allow him to jump into the situation he did with the Raiders and for the team to respond as well as it did? Well, I, I think he's a very passionate uh, guy. And, and, and passion is a very big emotion in the NFL. Uh, if you have one guy that's very passionate, it's obviously very noticeable. And that, that person will be well-liked and people will follow him. And, and it's not so much a coach, but if you have a passionate player, you can see passionate players all throughout the league. And, and, and when you have that quality, people, you're like a magnet. People will be drawn to you. And I think that's probably the biggest thing with, with, with Coach Passaccia. John, thank you so much. That was a great spot. We really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me on. There he is, John Kondo, longtime snapper for the Raiders, was on the Raiders from 2006 to 2017. Let's turn our attention uh, to the matchup between the Bengals and the Raiders. We'll bring on one of the guys who uh, does work with PFF, worked for a long time with ESPN, does a Bengals blog, played for the Bengals. Solomon Wilcox is right around the corner on Cofield and Company. At the William Hill Race and Sportsbook, sign up for the mobile betting app and get $50 added to your account. At six. Hanging at the William Hill Sportsbook inside Silver 7s, it's Cofield and Company. Thursday, Silver 7s, Bengals Raiders right around the corner. A guy who played for the Bengals is Solomon Wilcott's longtime NFL analyst. He's uh, joining us actually with Dr. Kevin Stone. Guys, we appreciate you coming in. We're going to talk about the game in a couple minutes, but first, let's talk about Play Forever. Solomon, explain what this is and what it means for former athletes, weekend warriors, really anyone who is having joint muscle issues. Well, first of all, we're joined by Dr. Kevin Stone, the chairman of the Stone Research Foundation, Um, and he's here to talk about a wonderful book that he put together. It teaches us how to play forever, exactly that, um, and take advantage of, uh, of our health, and make sure that long after our playing careers are over professionally, we can still enjoy the the sports and all the games and things that we love to do in terms of getting out and remaining active. And Dr. Stone, uh, first of all, welcome to the show. Uh, Why don't you give everyone that uh, quick pitch about uh, how to play forever? Thanks so much. So an important part of keeping athletes playing is repairing and replacing tissues as soon as they're injured. We've learned so much about stem cells and growth factors now. And so when you see an athlete, as many of you have, have torn your meniscus and the surgeon goes in and takes it out, that dooms your knee. And so, so much of our research now is about how we repair and replace those cartilages in the neck. I know you have an athlete in Las Vegas, in, in the knee, and I know you have an athlete in Las Vegas who's thinking about how to do that in the neck and it's become a big issue. And so we've learned that the sooner you replace tissues, the better you're gonna do, the longer you're gonna play. And so I wrote a book called Play Forever on Amazon. You can read that and find out all that information or you can go to stoneclinic.com and learn about how to do these new techniques. So Solomon, I want you to talk about uh, you know you playing in the NFL, your friends who played in the NFL, and then current day, how this is kind of changing things in terms of maintenance before things get really bad. 
You know, there's all kind of new medical technologies that help players like me who are on the other side of 50 years old. I beat my body up, right, playing Little League, high school, college, and professional sports. That's 20 years of, of, of a lot of training, but also a lot of damage, right? And those things usually show up a little bit later in life as we're still trying to enjoy wonderful things. I try to remain active, Steve. I still ski, right? I still love to do my daily workouts and try to take as good a care of myself as I possibly can, but I love to golf as well. And so if, if I'm uh, slowed down by some of the injuries that now tend to crop up, I have lower uh, disc problems in my back. Um, I've had surgery um, to repair a torn Achilles tendon. Um, I have a shoulder, okay, that is giving me problems. So um, with the work that Dr. Kevin Stone has done and a lot of the information that he's giving us, um, we can really benefit from this information to lead a more healthy and active lifestyle and not be slowed down by some of the injuries uh, that really did cost us our career, but we can really find some regenerative opportunities to continue to participate in the sports that we know and all love. Solomon, let's spend a couple of minutes, a big topic here, obviously, uh, well, in Cincinnati, but especially here in Vegas with the Raiders in Cincinnati uh, going at it. I want to get the Cincinnati vibe. I know you still, you're doing a podcast on the Bengals and you played for the Bengals. Give me the vibe around Cincinnati. It's been a team, of, an organization that hasn't won a playoff game since 1991. Bunch of playoff appearances since then. I mean, it's been a freaking long time. The excitement in Cincy must be incredible right now with this good young team. Well, you can imagine when Joe Burrow um, first arrived, he was the first overall pick, right, in the 2020 draft. I mean, we wanted to lay down palm leaves as he rode into town on a donkey. You know, we, we were we were ecstatic upon his arrival. And so, yes, expectations were very high. And then he blew his knee out, right? He had the uh, ACL tear last year, just 10 weeks into the season. We didn't know what to expect this year. You know, we used the first uh, our first round pick, fifth overall pick in the draft on a receiver, not an offensive lineman. Many of us wanted them to take the best offensive lineman on the board, but they take the best wide receiver. And I remember saying at the time, Steve, I'm not going to quibble because I thought Jamar Chase was an excellent player coming out of LSU. He played there collegiately with Joe Burrow. We knew they had great chemistry together, but we wanted protection for Joe Burrow. And the way that this thing has come together between Joe Burrow Jamar Chase, the other receivers, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, C.J. Uzama, and in the backfield, Joe Mixon, the offense has taken off. Now, we are still living in a state of precariousness, right, uncertainty, um, a great deal of caution, because Joe Burrow is the most sacked quarterback in the league right now. So that offensive line, those concerns that we had, they're still present. They're still there. But yet this offense has taken off. They set records in terms of what Joe Burrow has done this year and uh, what, obviously, Jamar Chase, he's had more receiving yards um, for a rookie receiver during the Super Bowl era. So they're setting records. So that that takes our whole expectation up to an entirely different level, and we're just excited. And uh, we expect them to snap that 30-year um, streak or drought of not having won a playoff game. I played on that team. 30 years ago that won in the playoffs, and it's it's time to do away with that. So you mentioned some really key matchups here. One, that offensive line against this Raiders defense and Max Crosby, who arguably is up there for defensive MVP. The amount of pressures the guy had, according to PFF, he led the league with over 100. But then on the other side, you got Jamar Chase going against 
a Raiders back end that is just really beat up and has a lot of you know journeyman types that they've brought in over time. So who wins out? You know, it's a really good question. And, you know, uh, the weather tends to play a role in games this time of year, right? Now, the, the kickoff is going to be at 4.35 p.m. Eastern time. The temperatures at that time here in Cincinnati are expected to be in the 20s. That is below freezing. So you and I both know the most spry of athletes are impacted by, by cold weather. Um, and uh, But, hey, the home team has to play in it as well as the visiting team. If the protection can hold up for Burrow, there's no doubt I think these receivers are going to have a big day. Um, you, you mentioned it. The Raiders are shorthanded on the back end. But these guys have been just tearing everyone up. And what we learned, Steve, is you do not blitz Joe Burrow. I think the Kansas City Chiefs found out the hard way. Um, the Baltimore Ravens found out the hard way. 400 yards, then 500 yards passing for Joe Burrow, respectively, um, against those two teams in Week 16 and Week 17. So I, I don't think you want to blitz them, even though you want to generate a pass rush with just four guys. Yeah, Raiders aren't a big blitz team, so that's a good thing because I don't think they want to leave their guys on an island. You know, in a weird way, because the numbers say Derek Carr hasn't been great in the cold weather. He's 0-5 when the temperature is below 38 at kickoff. But in a weird way, this weather actually favors, I think, what the Raiders want to do, which is kind of slow the game down, not make it into a passing game. You know, Derek Carr is a good quarterback, but they – they have to run the ball. I mean, so it's it's strange. They haven't had a lot of success in cold weather, but the Raiders want to slow this thing down. So the weather actually could be a benefit. Yeah, Josh Jacobs has to come up big for the Raiders if the Raiders are going to win this game. I think um, afterwards the autopsy will read uh, Josh Jacobs had a big game. Now only 37 yards rushing in that Week 11 loss uh, when the Bengals came out to Vegas and beat the Raiders in that game. Uh, but I think he didn't get nearly as many opportunities that we expect him to get in this game on, on Saturday. Uh, I think he's more healthy now than he was then. So we'll have to see how that bears out. You got to know the Cincinnati Bengals defense is laying and waiting. They anticipate uh, Josh Jacobs getting significant number of carries and they know that he has to have a big day. If the Raiders are going to win. Does it matter playoff experience? Like do you worry a little bit about Joe Burrow and some of the other guys being a little bit nervous? I'll quote my good friend Brett Favre. Uh, playoff experience is good if you have it, but it's not vitally important. It's not essential. And I think we could use someone like Tom Brady as an example. You know, he didn't play at all during his rookie campaign in 2000. In 2001, remember, it was about four weeks in. He gets his first start um, because uh, Bledsoe was injured. He takes him all the way, not just into the playoffs. He takes him to the Super Bowl. In his very first year as a starter, uh, Patrick Mahomes didn't play at all until the final game of his rookie year. When he became a starter in his second season, um, he wins the division, take them not just into the playoffs, but deep into the playoffs, and they end up losing in the AFC Championship game. And then since then, they've been to two straight Super Bowls. So, no, I, I'm not saying that uh, playoff experience is essential and critical um, to success in the postseason. I, I think you learn as you go. The intensity level certainly goes up a bit. Um, but these players, many of them have played in big games during their college careers. So they've been on the big stage before, and I don't think it's anything new to someone like a Joe Burrow or a Jamar Chase. Solomon, last thing I wanted to close on, you know, analytics and – I'm not going to say taking risk because by the numbers are not risk, but the way that Brandon Staley coached, the way that John Harbaugh coached and has coached, well, they didn't make it, right? So execution didn't work out for them. They were on the wrong side of the numbers. 
How do you think this is going to work out in the playoffs? Because we're going to have other coaches who will go by the numbers. Do you think we see some losses where, you know, the casual fan out there, the anti-analytics person is going to be flipping out, uh, you know, throughout the playoffs or, you know, maybe after a big spot? I think for every time that you point to data analytics and say, well, maybe that was a decision that didn't work out uh, by the coach that did employ um, the uh, data analytical side of it. I think you can also point to something where it did work out for a coach and where they were able to leverage that information and have a positive moment or uh, have success that could have led to a win. Um, To go to be more specific about Brandon Staley, um, the timeout is not what lost them the game, right? It was really their inability to stop Josh Jacobs on that 10-yard run that put Carlson 10 yards closer to kicking a 47-yard field goal. So it was the lack of execution in the run defense that cost them. I will say this. They converted, what, six out of seven plays on fourth down? That's incredible. But it was the one on his own 18-yard line that they should not have gone for. I mean, you don't need a spreadsheet to tell you. Don't go for it on your own 18-yard line because if you don't make it, the other team, all they need to do is kick a field goal. That's exactly what the Raiders did. Uh, I thought at the time the Raiders were okay at the end of the game for the, for it to be a tie because they were playing with house money, right? Whether they kicked the field goal, whether they scored a touchdown, or whether they did nothing. They could have taken a knee. They were going to the playoffs. The only way they could have not gone to the playoffs in that situation, Steve, is if the field goal was blocked and returned for a touchdown. Right. So, so the analytics actually worked for the Raiders even though – they were more of a uh, passive participant in the decisions made by Brandon State. Guys, I really appreciate the time. Uh, if you can, mention one more time, uh, Play Forever, what it is, and also where you can get the book. So Play Forever is a book on Amazon, easy to find, and more information at stoneclinic.com. And we want you all to play forever. There you go. Solomon, appreciate it so much. Dr. Stone, thank you, too. I'll see you. All right, Steve. Thanks for having us. Dr. Kevin Stone and... The former NFL player Solomon Wilcotts, right here on Cofield and Company. Let's do a giveaway right now: three six four eleven hundred three six four one one zero zero. Your chance to go see a show at T-Mobile. Tool is in town on January twenty second. Caller seven three six four eleven hundred three six four one one zero zero. January twenty second. Tool is the show. You can get your own tickets at axs.com. Talk to Ari right now for Tool tickets three six four eleven hundred. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. You know, I would assume as a group, you understand that you know we probably aren't supposed to be here. We're probably not a very good football team. We're the out of fourteen teams I think are in. We're probably number fourteen. We're double-digit underdog in the playoffs, so let's just go play and have fun and see what happens. I mean, arguably the best team in football. We don't have a chance, so let's just go in and play and have fun. Hanging at the William Hill Sportsbook inside Silver 7s, it's Cofield and Company. There he is, Big Ben. Nothing wrong with saying that, right, Candy? No sarcasm whatsoever coming from Ben Roethlisberger. None. <laughs> None. He meant he meant that with all sincerity. Well, I mean, he knows they are bottom of the barrel going into these playoffs. This is going to be a virtually impossible game to win. Although, you know what? Ari sent over notes today saying that uh, with the craziness of the season, Steelers have a shot. Do you buy that? 
that is pretty much all I need to know to bet the Chiefs as heavily as possible. I mean, I know our buddy Sammy P has the bartender who's a consistent fade. Ari's got to be as solid a fade as the bartender. Ari, would you like to defend yourself? Uh, Yeah. yeah. It's the wording I used. I said that wouldn't be the craziest thing. Or or I think I said it would be fitting. I don't actually think it's going to happen. If if you're really asking me, they're going to get destroyed. I'm just saying it's been quite a crazy... There's the hot take that I needed. hot take. It's just been a very crazy season. So let's be honest. Like, anything could happen, right? It's not the craziest thing if... It is pretty crazy, but give it that little 1% chance. You never know. And you will all be praising me if they win. Juju Smith-Schuster has a window here where he could come back. Would you come back? You're a competitor. You want to come back. Maybe you want to play with Ben one more time, right? Maybe Juju wants to get back on the field with Ben one more game. Um, For the Steelers, let me ask you the other question want Juju back? Let's be honest, man. He was, at best, their third receiver. So, I don't know that I'm in any hurry to get Juju Smith-Schuster back on the field this year either. Alright. I would, uh, I'll tell you next year, if he's healthy, and I have a chance to sign him on a one-year discount deal, I'm all over it. So, if I'm the Raiders, I'm signing him. Not, not in a, no. Not in a Why million not? years. No way. As another possession guy? You want Jordan you want Jordy Nelson again? You want a guy whose best years are behind him? Wow. Then go sign, then go sign Juju Smith Schuster. Didn't he have like ninety nine catches last year? Of course he had ninety nine catches. Ben Roethlisberger throws the ball three yards every time. Najee Harris probably had two hundred this year without me looking closely. I think I'll have value next year. I think it's I, a little I think it's a little early to call him, you know, similar to thirty three year old freaking, you know, former Packers receiver. I'm just telling you that I think that if you are signing Juju Smith-Schuster with the thought that you are getting even a number two wide receiver, you're overvaluing what you're getting. By the way, he's all of 25 years old. And he started young, did he not? Yes, he did. This is, it's, he, he did not come off an LDS mission at the age of 25. Like He, he started his career young. Some gambling news in. What's going on here with this new Caesar Sportsbook deal? Caesar Sportsbook deal and Michigan State football. I'm not ever going to get used to seeing these. I really am not comfortable with the idea of seeing the headline Michigan State signed sports betting deal and i gaming deal with the uh, Michigan uh, Caesar Sportsbook and Michigan State University. But this is where we are, and this is probably like. It's about a half dozen deals. We saw the first one points bet in the University of Colorado. We saw LSU and Caesars. And I think the really, and I talked to some of my colleagues who covered this space today, and they weren't as alarmed as I am. But I'm alarmed that we're talking about an iGaming deal with a university. Like, sports betting is one thing. We all know that kids might go out and bet with each other on sports. And I mean, I remember placing bets with my buddies for you know five bucks here and there on nba games in high school but iGaming is a different thing man uh, when we talk about getting potentially you know hopefully not kids who are underage but at least getting the exposure out there to those who might otherwise not know it to online casino games and so on i just worry perception wise i don't worry that you're going to have 17 year olds blowing their money on online roulette what i worry is that you're going to have 
legislators and regulators who aren't as educated about all this, the first time that they see something go wrong in that sort of space, say, well, what, what, what are you doing? Why, why, are you, why are you letting them advertise this to, to kids? And then it has an effect on this space that rolls downhill to everybody, right? It's not news to us in Vegas. William Hill's had a deal with UNLV for a long time. Had to deal with Reno for a long time. We've. It's not like that has ever caused a problem. We get it. It's fine. But when it comes to these deals elsewhere, sports betting doesn't really get my my antenna up. But when I see iGaming, it's it's a little more concerning. Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans brings you the 4 o'clock football frenzy. Dial 702-577-2600 now. Home prices have never been higher, and interest rates have never been lower. Get your mortgage tune-up today by calling 577-2600. It's Cofield and Company's Eye on Sports Betting with Brad Powers. All right, let's get to Brad Powers here on this Thursday. Brad, how you doing, buddy? Excellent. All right, tell me how you made out on uh, title game night because I, I know you had Georgia. I know you had Georgia at a low money line number and uh, looked like you had a bunch of different props and uh, alternate spreads that cashed in. Yeah, so, I mean, I did well in that regard. Uh, you know, I thought Georgia was the right side. I thought there was probably an over-adjustment from First game, people overreacting, and specifically, you know, Alabama short a couple guys that they had in the first go around. So, I mean, that's why I took the uh, the Bulldogs. And you know, the, the good thing about the you know national championship games is you have you know more derivatives that you can bet on. You have player props you can bet on, and made out pretty well uh, on that. But uh, let me say though, uh, I did hedge off some Alabama uh, tickets uh, after I watched the first three four series of the game and then watching. The disparity between Bryce Young and Stetson Bennett, I, I didn't make as much as I should have uh, on the Bulldogs. I don't blame you, though, quite honestly, Brad, after watching the way that was playing out. And I mean, Stetson Bennett obviously made a couple of huge throws down the stretch, but certainly see where you're coming from. And you talked about uh, pretty frequently on social media the last couple of days about Alabama and the fact that they are bringing back the Heisman Trophy winner, the best defensive player in the country, the best coach doing it, it kind of feels right now like Alabama is on the verge of something. Yeah, I would think so. Uh, so I did bet. I made one future bet as far as next year's national championship. I was a little surprised. Uh, I think it was, yeah, it was uh, Willie Hill uh, opened up uh, Alabama plus 325. I thought they should be in the plus 150 range, which is what they're down to. I think I've even seen as low as plus 120. So uh, a little bit of value already on that one. And you mentioned it. Why did I bet Alabama? Number one, the schedule, even though it's in the SEC, it isn't that difficult. But it's not like they got a crossover game with Georgia or whatnot. So it's about as manageable as you can get uh, for an SEC schedule. Number two, I mean, you mentioned it. You got the Heisman Trophy winner back. I mean, not only, I mean, it's the first Heisman Trophy winner and quarterback that Saban's had, and he returns. Defensive player Will Anderson, in my opinion, is not only the best defensive player returning in college, but he's one of the best defensive players I've ever seen at the college level, period. And then you got the go to head coach. And plus, you have a very motivated Alabama team that just came short, came up short. So, uh, yeah, the Crimson Tide, it, it, I'll, I got some further evaluations to do. 
But it's going to, I think, almost get to the point where I think Alabama should be even money versus the field. That, that's how big of a favorite I think Alabama should be. Wow. Brad Powers joined us here on Cofield & Company. From your perspective as a guy who does this professionally, you talked about the value there with Alabama. You've had them. You said it, that number was maybe close to double uh, what you thought it would be. And obviously, if you're placing that bet now, you're locking that money up for a year. What kind of value do you have to see on a future to be willing to put your own money in and have it be sitting there for that amount of time? So that's an excellent question. Uh, and obviously it's a case by case basis, but I would say double a lot of times when you're talking a futures market. So, you know, if I, if I look to take maybe a longer shot, uh, whether it be the Heisman trophy that, that, that I'll dive into here because a few books have that up. Or it's, you know, just a team as far as the national title odds. You know, if it's 40 to 1, and I think it should be 20 to 1, even though we're talking a full year where the sports book's going to, you know, hold my money, I'm certainly going to be, you know, I'm not going to just fire away like I do on, you know, game totals and sides on a weekly basis. But yeah, if I think it should be double that, then it usually, you know, involves me making a bet. Well, Brad, I know that you do this for a living. You do this professionally, but I'm pulling this from your Twitter from yesterday. Did you suddenly become a square? Are, are you a square now? You played an NFL teaser with the Bucks to two and the Chiefs to six and a half. You teased down to six and a half? You square. How could you do that? <laughs> uh yeah, so I would say I'm certainly more square on the NFL than I am in college football. <laughs> uh, I did, you know, it's a, square bets win every now and then, folks. It's not like the public and squares go 0%. I mean, uh, are they positive EV long-term? No. This bet that I made isn't positive EV long-term. Would I have made the bet in the regular season? No. Uh, I'm also going through withdrawals because I'm an action junkie in college football <laughs> and I got nothing to bet right now. So, I mean, there was probably a little bit of that. But also, you know, I, I get it. Most people are, and almost everyone should be universal in this way of thinking. You should only do, you know, Stanford Wong teasers. What is that? That's teasing, you know, through the key numbers of seven and three. Teasing an eight-and-a-half point favorite down to two-and-a-half, et cetera. So I didn't do that on one of the legs. And, therefore, long-term, it's negative EV. But, you know, I, I'm, I'm still happy. Uh, you know, if Tampa Bay covers that first leg of the spread, Let's just say this. I'll be very comfortable laying that second half of that teaser with KC minus six and a half. I'll put it to you that way. Yeah, like you said, not a long teaser, but the Chiefs covering a field goal is a pretty decent position to be waiting on that one to, to come through on the second end. And, you know, as you mentioned, getting positive EV on it also means be careful where you're betting them because the prices can vary wildly on those two team teasers uh, depending on where you bet them in town. Um, I know you said you're a little more square on the NFL. Anything else in particular that you like on this weekend's NFL card? Well, you know, I, I do like San Francisco, but I'm not in a race to, to run and bet them plus three because we're starting to see some at least some early indicators that maybe it goes to three and a half and maybe the sharper money's on Dallas. Again, I'm not afraid to, to, to say that at this point. I mean, I just look at statistically speaking, you know, the 49ers are plus one yard uh, per play and yards per play margin. Dallas had plus a half yard uh, per play margin. And the 49ers played a tougher schedule. I also think the 49ers got the better head coach. So 
I know it's not a great spot for the 49ers after, you know, back-to-back road games after a really big win against the Rams in overtime. But, yeah, I, I like San Francisco plus three. We love it at plus three and a half if the, if the market moves that way. Yeah, it certainly seems like it's trending that direction for uh, a San Francisco team that I know by the advanced metrics has spent plenty of time in the top 10 in the NFL this year. And I think if you if you dig down a little bit, and I'm sure you obviously have with Dallas, since Dak Prescott came back from the injury, yeah, they've blown up a couple of bad defenses in some very prominent spots, but it wasn't even that long ago against an against Arizona that this team offensively hasn't looked totally right. Exactly. And, you know, another reason why I'm taking the 49ers, it is a fade against Dallas. And it was a Dallas team that really feasted on the NFC East this year. I mean, not only did they win six games against their NFC East brethren, they covered all six of those games. So when you see Dallas is really good ATF record, uh, an overwhelming amount of that is against, in my opinion, a very weak NFC East. And you know, I do question, uh, especially when you got Mike McCarthy running, <laughs> you know, quote unquote, the analytics and the game management. I, I question them in a high pressure situation. And I've seen the Cowboys as a franchise as a whole since you know '96, '97, at the tail end of the Aikman, the triplets era. There, betting Dallas in the playoffs has not been very profitable. I'll just put it that way. How dare you, sir? Mike McCarthy told us he spent all that time out of the NFL learning <laughs> analytics. He's got to be close to the top of uh, analytical minds in the NFL today. I, I can't even get the rest of that out without the sarcasm choking me when I say it. Um, Brad, what about this news that we saw that I think might have looked, I think, to the average sports fan a little bit under the radar with Notre Dame and Michigan but there's been a lot of talk about Jim Harbaugh going to the NFL we've seen Jim Harbaugh linked to the Raiders very prominently in some reports over the last week but you're seeing an addition to his staff that makes you think that he might stay yeah I I think if Harbaugh's got one foot out the door he's not you know making he's not hiring assistant coaches at this point in my opinion especially making a really good move as far as hiring assistant coach. I mean, you know, basically pulling the Notre Dame's defensive line coach has been there for 12 years off that staff and on to your own, a really good hire there. I'm not sure you're making that type of move if, if you're heading to the NFL by, by next week. So, yeah, I think to me, uh, if you're reading the tea leaves, I think it's now much more likely that Harbaugh stays and goes. Speaking of head coaches, Brad, on the other side of the national championship game from Saban, talking about Kirby Smart, um, is this a walkout for Georgia? Is this the sort of thing where we see Georgia compete regularly at this level? Or do you think that they just happened to amass this amount of defensive talent at one time and it was the perfect storm? No, I think they're here to stay, uh, although I'm selling them next year. I mean, we even saw Saban in his first go-around in Alabama after a national title. I mean, his, his, the, the following season, they just weren't locked in, lost three games. Uh, the same thing happened when he won his first title at LSU. So I do question if there's that hunger and desire after he ended a 41-year streak of winning the national title, if it'll be there uh, as far as lifting weights and doing your your conditioning in this offseason. Not sure that that... that little chip on your shoulder is going to be there for the Bulldogs this year. But from a talent aspect, they're clearly 
still have a top three, four roster in college football. So they're, they're here to stay. Oh, I'll say this. I mean, it took a heck of a lot. I mean, if you have a full, fully healthy Alabama team in that game, Alabama beat Georgia again in that one. And it might have just been the Jamison Williams going out that, that, that really turned the tide uh, in that one, so to speak, quote-unquote. Uh, it took a heck of a lot for Georgia to get over that Bama hump. I don't think it'll be there next year. I'll put it that way. So that should tell Kirby Smart he needs to get better. So does he allow Stetson Bennett to come back? Or does he risk having JT Daniels and Vandergris say, see you, bro? Yeah, uh, man, that's a great question. I, he's a good story and all. He got you the title. I don't ask Stetson Bennett back. I mean, sooner or later. I mean, you, that was going to be the reason why they wouldn't have got it done. I think in every other position outside of quarterback and wide receiver, Georgia was a better team. Uh, and had the better depth. But, I mean, it showed you those first couple of drives that there's a major difference between a five-star and a walk-on. And they were extremely fortunate to win a title with Stetson Bennett. Kirby, it's 2022. You can't win with a game. I know you just did it, but you can't win multiple national titles with game managers and quarterback. I wonder if Bennett decided to leave, what Power 5 school would step up to grab him? Yeah, I think there'd be a market for him, probably mid, you know, not not necessarily a top ten, top fifteen type yeah. of team. But I'm guessing, you know, I'm just throwing you know type of schools that would be interested, like a Kansas State or a middle of the road type team like that, that might be interested. But nobody in the top ten. All right, Brad, we appreciate it. Thank you. All right, take care, guys. Thanks for having there, me on. There he is, Brad Powers at Brad Powers Sports Seven up on Twitter. Go to bradpowersports.com to find all of his information. Big Five's on the way. Daily happy hour starts at three with beers, well drinks, and margaritas just 277.